Thanks for listening. The Tea with Brie podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, we'll start with my guest bio, an intro into how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. This week, I'm joined by my guest, Dante Clemens. With deep experience in design and strategy, creative problem solving is a common denominator in much of Dante's work. Her experience includes work in product management, digital optimization and production, strategic design, and architectural planning. Clients have spanned Nike, the Coca-Cola Company, CVS, Marc Jacobs, Michael Kors, and the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Dante is a founder of Kicking in the Door, a consultancy for job seekers in pursuit of developing a rewarding career. She has also taught in the graduate program of design management at Pratt Institute, where she lectured on innovation and change management and is a visiting lecturer in the data science program at Rutgers University. Born and raised in New Orleans, Dante earned a Bachelor of Architecture degree from Louisiana Tech University and a MPS in design management from Pratt Institute in New York. She currently resides in Austin, Texas. Yeah, that's my friend. Um, <laughs> Just going to be that friend. I'm just let y'all know that's my friend out here killing it. So, hi, I'm so excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for such a warm introduction. You know, I, I, we had to do it right. I was honestly just thinking, how did we meet? And I realized we met at a Boss Babes event three years ago. Was it the work event? No. You had brought your friend with you who's like the little drawer person. Like she makes these really cute cartoons and it was like this panel of four women at like this little place on the east side. It was like women and women who work or it was it was during like um, the 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 media. No, the house tours that happens every year. Mm. But there's like this little pop up that Boss Babes did. I went alone and you were like one of the first two people I met at a Boss Babes event. So it's like three years now, which is wild to think about. But. Yeah, time is definitely moving. That makes all the sense in the world. I do remember, I think the first time we linked up, like, intentionally, you know, and I think it was at a rooftop somewhere downtown, and you were with some friends. At that moment, you were the popular one. You had, like, a tribe of people with you. (laughs) But we had drinks on the rooftop. I remember that. Oh, my gosh, that's true. Yeah. I think you wore green that day, actually. I couldn't tell you what I was wearing, but I think you had on green. Back when the world was open and normal. Yeah, you didn't have to be afraid of air. Or going outside your door. Breathe in peace. What a time. I always think about like when people listen to this podcast, like later on, like the archives, like what was going on in 2020? I'm like, we were all inside and missing being outside. That's really it. It's like eternal uh, grounding, you know, like you're you're grounded. You just 
at the house doing chores at the house getting your life in order figuring things out starting careers the whole yeah. shebang uh, but speaking of, I'm excited to talk about this topic with you today of life in Austin, deciding to move across the country and relocating to a new city because that's literally us. Mm-hmm. Um, so wait, when did you move to Austin? So what year is this? 2020? I moved to Austin in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in New York at the time. I've been in New York six winters. And wait, I-, I like how that's your scope of time. <laughs> Six winters. October would come and it was just like, all right, it's a mental fight. We're just going to like war up. We're going to prepare ourselves. You know, D, like the the sun's coming back. The heat is coming back. Like how do you just get into a mindset where you go buy groceries and your hand is literally freezing off as you carry the bag of groceries back to your apartment? Like it was, it was, it was, yeah, it it was war. (laughs) Six winters. I just, as a girl from Connecticut, I feel that pain. Like... (laughs) I've always thought that you guys would be like immune to it though. Like you're just like, yeah, since I was two, I've been rolling around in snow. Like I just, you know. It's not the tundra. Like there's <laughs> summer that happens. But it is. <laughs> we they see there's people and things around. It's like the middle of nowhere and it's starting to walk 13 miles to see a store. No. <laughs> but New York is like that. Like you are in the elements. You know, it's it's a it's a pedestrian city, right? And I wasn't ready for that level of fragility. I just really, nobody told me. Nobody. Yeah, it's, it's a, especially with you being from the South. I was like, I always tell people like who, I have friends like, I want to live in the North. I'm like, okay, let's have a conversation because <laughs> y'all live in the heat yeah. 90% of the time. The heat, feeling fans, the central air, like all these amenities that became luxury when I got to New York for some reason. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you move to the North where like, that's not what happens. Like for me, I was thinking moving to Philly this year and I was like, I can't live a place with no central air. People are like, it doesn't get that hot. I'm like, yeah, but no, I've gotten used to it. <laughs> like, yeah. And yes, it does get that hot. Like that's, and then right. also like climate change, obviously. So it's going to get warmer, but yeah, I just felt like I was ill prepared to live a good quality life. You know, it's like washer and dryers, luxury, ceiling fans, good luck, sis. And I'm, you know, not to mention just dishwasher. So all these things that were tenants and hallmarks of my comfortable Southern living and upbringing. When I got to New York, it's like, oh, I have to pay extra grand for those. Oh, okay. I guess I'll get an AC unit mm-hmm. that can go on the window <clears throat> and, uh, you know, unplug it in winter, I guess, you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you live six, six winters in New York. Six winters, yeah. And then what, why, why Austin? What was, what was the decision behind that? You know, in hindsight, everything seems to come together and make sense. But at that time, I remember I was working at a job. I was working at the Met. Um, and I actually took the job at the Met because I was working at an ad agency before that and was like burning myself out. And I was just exhausted. So I was like, let me go in-house somewhere where I can just like think. And so I got to the Met and I was able to think like things there moved at a snail's pace. And so I was starting to do like this self-reflection around, you know, what did I want next in my career? Um, how was I really doing? Just kind of checking in with myself. And I remember February came, it was the sixth winter. And <laughs> I went to Miami. I just like booked a, a Airbnb and, um, in Miami and went down there for like four days and just journaled and Texas just kept coming up and Texas had come up for for me before of like, ultimately I want to go to Texas, but I had no clear understanding yet at that time of like timing. And so when I was in Miami and I was journaling 
and just got really clear, like, man, I came in to New York for grad school, and but I've gotten everything I came here to get. Like, I think I'm ready to go. And I could trust that decision because I wasn't stressed when I was making it. You know, I was like literally in a space of seeming abundance, right? In this Miami penthouse, uh, studio penthouse. But near the water, you know, on the beach, cooking for myself, journaling a lot. And so I got real clear that Texas was my aim. And so once I got back to New York after that trip, I said about like, how would I make that happen? How would I get there? Um, And on faith, I booked a round trip flight to Houston for July 4th weekend. And I was just like, I'm just going to like pop in, you know, and maybe see some apartments, you know, it was just good, a good juju to just kind of book it. It's, I was aiming for Houston. I had friends in Houston. I had previous great experiences in Houston partying and just kind of hanging out. Um, But once I started actually job searching, um, Austin just had better jobs and I was like, Austin, I had never been to Austin. I never really heard much about it, um, but the jobs were compelling. And so I was just applying. I started applying to gigs in Austin too. And so I started to get callbacks more persistently from one particular company at Austin. And so when I came for the July 4th trip that I largely spent in Houston, I did come down to Austin to interview. I think it was a Friday. And I nailed the interview and I knew I nailed it, you know, but yeah, that's how Austin came about. It was literally like, you know, it's like the boy that like really likes you and has been nice to you the whole time, but you overlook him just because, you know, there's some cuter, more interesting boy that has your attention. And so Austin was that city. It just kind of crept upon me, but I moved on a whim, really. Like I came for that interview, but I hadn't really spent time here. And I didn't let my interviewer know that. I was like, yeah, I love Austin, you know? So they weren't concerned about me coming and maybe not liking it. But yeah, it was, it was a surprise destination for me. I feel like everyone I talk to has like that. I just kind of visited Austin on a whim or I just got a job and moved here. Like it's, I think it's everyone because I, born and raised in Connecticut, went to college in Connecticut. And then my best friend was living in Austin for a few years and I had a wedding in Dallas and he was like, well, just come over and check out Austin. I was like, for what? He goes, you might like it. I'm like, Texas is hot. Like I have family who lives, who lives here. And I'm just like, I I thought about moving for a while to Texas and my aunt's like, it's hot. And I was like, you're right. I won't do well in the heat. Um, but I was here for maybe four days and like loved it. Cause like he was working. So I got to borrow his car and just like did touristy things and walked around downtown at the Capitol and just, you know, just really got a chance to see the city. The energy was great. Back when the airport had the large guitars in it, I loved that for some reason. It was just like, I was like, I need to live here. Um, so I told him like, I'm moving. And he was like, you're never moving. I was like, no, I think I'm ready. And so like, I got back home, started looking for jobs, used his address, which is a, you know, if you have a friend who lives in a city where you want to live, use their address. It gets your resume seen. So Mm -hmm. just, you know, my aunt gave me that suggestion. She's like, yeah, use, use someone's address. My ah, genius. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I didn't have, I came back in April, found an apartment my friend was moving with me. So we we're going to be roommates. We signed an apartment. And then I didn't get a job until a week, a week before I moved here. Like, I was like, I'll figure it out. I'll go back into food service if I have to. But I found a job. And now I've been here for four years. And I think of how much has changed in four years. I feel like Austin's a very, like, lively city. There's always something to do. There's always something to get, you know, to participate in. Like I said, we met at an, at an event. Um and it's just like you meet these people and you connect with folks. You just like, before you know it, it's been three years of knowing each other and, you know, doing all this work. And especially with Austin being such a, being the capital of Texas and being a very big political scene, um, that's been really life-changing for me too, especially right now with, you know, this resurgence around Black Lives Matter and all the work that like Austin Justice Coalition is doing and all the stuff going on on a city level with 
you know, city council. So yeah, Austin was a whim city for me too. And I've been here four years. I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> like, I, I have survived four summers in Texas. <laughs> so I'm not sure. We're going to applaud that. <laughs> That's worthy too. I was, I knew, yeah, I just knew that I wanted to get back to the South. Like I was clear on that, like being from New Orleans and the heat being a part of, you know, what I think good life feels like actually, you know, it, it was something that I wanted to return to. And so I was happy to get back to the South, but yeah, Austin has been delightful. I've been here five years now. And you know what I like about it? I will say I was on the island of the domain for a while, you know, and so the employer that I worked for was there. My apartment was there. I moved here as a quote unquote New Yorker. I didn't have a car. So walk like things being walkable was really important to me. And I was like, oh, if I ever feel lonely, I can just go, you know, walk to Macy's or something. And so and that's what I did when I first got here. But once I rented a car, I drove 2222. And I was like, oh shit, like this place is beautiful. Like Houston could never, you know, like it was just like one of those moments where I was like, what is this gym that I've stumbled upon that's giving me California vibes without the highest taxes, you know, and it's safe. Like I'm from a city, New Orleans, where unfortunately there's a lot of like violence and a lot of violent, gun violence specifically, which is really scary, right? Because then you know, you get caught, caught, caught in the middle of that sometimes. And I think, or some people do, unfortunately. And so I think coming to Austin and it being quiet, like peaceful and, you know, just no crime, like very low crime. And I was like, yeah, I can do this. This is a good place to rest. And so I saw it as that, but in that resting, I found it like some rootedness here. And I think a lot of that has to do with the community I've developed. Yeah. Um, I was talking to my cousin yesterday and she wants to move to Houston or Dallas and I got very bougie and I was like, oh, okay she was like well I was like I don't know I was like Austin's just like different for me like do you have this nature part you can <clears throat> you know go out on the lake or go for a hike or you know you see trees <laughs> like there's parks like there's just so much stuff to do outside in nature and then also like you still have like that city vibe if you want to go downtown or go to the domain but I think it's 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 that that's sold it for me it's like just there's so many different pockets of things to enjoy and you know now thinking about everything that's going on in the news and being a black queer woman in Texas and just, you know, being in Austin has felt like the safest place for me to live. I tell people like, I don't leave Austin city limits often, if at all. Um, I was like, it just, cause like this, it's this bubble for me of safety and, you know, acceptance and feeling like I'm okay within these walls. Um, but you know, still sometimes like people who come in and come to the protests of the Capitol who are very opposite gambit of myself but you know in the four years I've been here I've never felt unsafe I felt seen I felt you know invited to tables and if I haven't felt invited I've been able to create those spaces and work in partnerships and you know I feel like it's this very liberal place but I have to tell people like liberal doesn't mean anti-racist which is a lot of conversations going on right now but being able to be at the helm of a lot of situations and and conversations that are happening I, I have really felt you know Austin has become my home I have gotten really rooted here I've built connections and in four years and I, I think about it with a lot of people who are like it's so hard to make friends when you becoming become an adult and I think that's been so weird to think about because like in Austin I have not felt that at all I'm also like not a shy person but I think about that for people who are like you know for me to move to a new city past the age of 25 um now 30 like you know the the thought of moving somewhere else and having to start all over is so terrifying and so I think that's also a really interesting thing about about Austin is you can find so many different people with so many different interests and so many communities within the city yeah and I think if you're intentional about it 
you know, you can be surprised at the kind of community and the, the quality of relationships that you can build. Like I remember when I'm, even when I moved to New York, I moved to New York at 25. I primarily knew classmates and I had one friend that I knew when I moved there. And like some of the people that I met through her that were cool, I would hold on to. And it's just like cool people beget cool people though. It's like, if you can lock into one cool friend, right. And I think, you know, hang with that person and just also see who they know and not in a social climbing way. I mean, you can do this obviously authentically and like very genuinely, but, um, yeah, I think it's it's about getting off the couch, right? And showing up. Like you showed up to that event alone and seeing another brown face in there that was smiling back at me. Like it just takes that. Like, and I think, you know, specifically in the South where folks tend to be more open and inviting and encouraging for those types of interactions. Uh, it's not it's not a hard thing to do. I think the hard part is mental, you know? It's really just like allowing yourself to be new and to, you know, try to like engage with folks. When I got here, I... I was on the bubble, like I said, of the domain. And that was fine. I was like, I called it thawing out. Like I was literally thawing out from the hustle of New York, another weather reference. And um, I I spent a lot of time at home and alone, you know, and I would catch up with friends and go on these walks, you know, to all these shopping centers and just like catch up with some of my friends in New York. But I got to a point where I was like, I'm not seeing black people. Um, and where are the cool kids at? Because I'm sure they're here somewhere, but they're not visible. And I've had to deal with that a lot in Austin of like the invisibility of blackness or the invisibility of black cultural networks. Right. And like, how, like, how do I crack that? And so I got on Instagram and I would find, I don't even know how I started, but I would find like an influencer, like a Brown influencer, black influencer. And it's like, all right, where do they go? Okay, they go to these locations. What kind of events are they hosting? Okay, cool. That's something maybe I can show up to. And but it started with me like DMing certain people, you know, and be like, hey, I'm new here, blah, blah, blah. And like asking them out for coffee. And folks would say yes. And legit go and meet for coffee or dessert and literally building out from there. And I think also what has helped me is like getting involved. Like you mentioned, like all these different things that are happening here in Austin that are meaningful things, political items, for example. And I got involved with the Austin Area Urban League and like that has helped build my community even further, you know, and I had a birthday party last year and it was like 50 black people. Like we just blacked out this bar and I was like, yo, this is beautiful. Cause when I got here, I knew nobody, you know, and now, and it's not that I know 50 people, but of this 50, I got a smooth 25. I knew I could call to help me move, you know, or, or for whatever. And so I think, um, you have to be intentional about crafting community, you know, specifically as you get older, you get more intentional about who and what matters to you and what your standards are. Right. But yeah, it's, it's, it takes work. It's definitely not like a plug and play thing I found. Yeah. I love what you're saying about like finding your people. And I think as we get older, especially with Instagram and social media being so big now, a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to seem disingenuous. And I'm like, if you really mean it of like just wanting to grab coffee just to build community, people, people will be able to see that. And then also like as a girl from the North, but raised by people from the South. Like most of my family's from Louisiana, North Carolina, Mississippi. So like I always tell people like I was a Northerner girl raised by Southerner people. So I grew up like saying, yes, ma'am, no, sir. Like really hospital, like um, hospitable, you know, talking to strangers, which is really like a big thing in the North. <laughs> people don't do that. So like when I moved here and everyone's like, you're very friendly to be a person from the North. I was like, oh, well, this is why. Um, but like had just, you know, being able to go out and meet people that way, either at events or being able to like, I tried yoga in the park for like a month because I was like, there's going to be someone out there. Like there's going to, you know, you never know you'll meet someone. But, you know, as we get, you know, as I get older and start and I've really been leaning into like my activism 
framework and building connection. And, you know, for the last year, I've been wanting to really do like a black women's collective of some sort. And so, you know, there's a bunch of people I text at the beginning, uh, end of last year. And they were like, yeah, I'm interested. What do you need? And I was like, um, I have a lot of projects going on right now, but as soon as I like <laughs> figure out how to figure this out, I will get back to you. And so it's been, you know, a conversation that's been on my mind a lot lately, especially with, you know, the black population in Austin. That was one of the reasons I wanted to leave Austin and move to Philly is like, I just felt like I wasn't seeing black people. And like, they're, they're black, like we were saying, there's black people here, but it's just like, we're so spread out in the city um, with North, Central and South Austin. Like there's so many different pockets for us to live in. And so, you know, around, like I said, the resurgence of Black Lives Matter and the protests that were going on, just seeing how many black people actually live in the city, um, was very heartwarming and I've been connecting with those folks and really doing the work but you know I think a lot of the time too when you move to a new city is either finding those people or connecting or creating things that don't exist already so that you can have this community um, and so it's been a really big thing on my heart is like the last couple of months really connecting with you know black women specifically but women of color and in thinking of ways you know when we're allowed back outside how can we <laughs> commune and, and build community that way. And I think it's so important to think about when, when moving, especially to a city where you don't, maybe don't see yourself represented right away. Yeah. And I think about that a lot. I think that's one of the biggest problems that I am committed to solving is, is this incessant recurrent, you know, experience that you have when you move to Austin as a young black person, where you're like, I can't find my people. I got this banging ass job though. And it pays me well and I feel safe, right? And I can go to Ikea and I can drive wherever else I want and just like build a comfortable life because it is Texas, you know? I call Texas like <laughs> the promised land. And my New York friends are like, mm, are you sure? And I'm like, come visit, you know? I, I, I think you can live very comfortably in Texas. I mean, you know, we're all doing it. And so I think coming here and not seeing yourself and then dealing with this mindset of, all right, I'm coming here and I'm gonna get X, Y, and Z professionally done. I'm gonna check those boxes and then I'm gonna bounce. I'm gonna move to Dallas because I know the black population there. In Houston, obviously, you run black people everywhere. And in Austin, that's just not your experience, right? And it's not the experience. And so I think it's a recurring problem. And one that, like I said, led me to take action on it by DMing people, but everybody doesn't feel that level of comfort. Some of us want and come from places where blackness is so accessible, right? Where there's not a need to go out and hunt for it. So we never had to really think about how we might do that successfully. And I think it's a problem that it's a problem for the city, right? Around retaining Black talent, you know? And so it's something that I'm working on, actually. I have a project now in development um, that I think is going to, you know, be impactful for this. And that, But that's a problem that's really real for me. And it's one that, unfortunately, I hear a lot. And what I would do in Urban League, too, I would meet people who were coming to Urban League for community, right? They're like, yo, I just got here. I'm just looking for my people, you know? And it's like, well, we're here, fam. You know, and then they're like, yeah, I don't like Austin. I just got this six-figure job, though. So I'm just kind of riding it out. And I'm going to go to Dallas. I'm going back to Dallas. And I was like, all right, no, like, who are you? These are the DJs. Follow these DJs. They DJ here, here, and here. Come through. The music's going to be popping. You're going to find your people. This is a brunch spots I go to. You know, just like putting them on, like helping them orient to Austin. And now it's like, oh, they've been investing in real estate. They got spouses or guys that they dated, like coming here to like move in with them. And it's like, it's all these things that is now like Austin is shaping up to be a really comfortable place for them to take root in. And it's because they were able to plug in in a way that, again, is not obvious. Yeah, I think about that too, of like how often people will be here and then leave. Like I think right now the Black population in Austin is like 8%, maybe 9 if we've gone back up. 
Um, but there's a statistic that shows like if a, if a larger city's population of black folks falls beneath 10, it will never recover. Um, so I think that's really important. Like you're saying, like, don't leave, build it. Like if you build it, they will come. And I yeah. love that energy of like, you know, that's, I think that's why I'm like so passionate about Austin and why I didn't end up leaving this year. I mean, aside from like now being able to work for myself, which I don't think would have happened if I lived in a different city, right? Like being able to start this consulting business, knowing that this was a need in the city and me being, you know, having built a name for myself here and the connections I've been able to build as well, you know, not leaving and, you know, having friends who are like, you literally cannot leave. Like so many friends, like you cannot pack a box. You are not allowed to leave Austin. I love those friends. Yes. Yeah. They were like, no, we need you here. Uh, what do you need from us to help you stay here? Like had friends who were sending me jobs who were like this place in this, like this person I know who's looking for blah, blah, blah. So like knowing people who, who are really interested in you, doing well and i think that's so important as we get older especially moving to new cities um surrounding yourself with people who just want to see you do well which is fascinating to me who people who have friends who don't support you which is a tangent for another day and another whole episode but you know being in a space where your friends literally just want to see you do well or or another black person wants to see you do well right and i think it's so important as we continue to do this work and build community and like I have been meaning to get involved with Urban League so I'm like oh crap Dante said it like six times already I need to like <laughs> make a note for myself to actually freaking do it this year um but yeah like there's just there's also like there's so much in this city that is a lot of like best kept secrets and I and I don't want that to be a hindrance to people um so yeah that's that's another thing I often think about as well yeah and I think you said I mean the realest thing is about the population dipping below 10 percent and what that means and I think about you know if you have Tesla building a plant here Apple investing a billion dollars in a headquarters like those are going to bring jobs and those are going to be significant opportunities for you know somebody from an economically suppressed you know background to want to take advantage of and so that leads, you know, why I do the work that I do with kicking the door, but also for Austin, it's like, I remember Googling Austin, like something like, tell me something about the city, just researching. And all I would stumble upon was like articles about how there were no black people here. You know, that didn't dissuade me though, because again, I was like, well, it can be a, 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 a jumping stone. I can, a stepping stone. I can go there and then again, bounce to Houston, get, get to where I thought I was going to go anyway. And so I think about that and, um, you know, I just, it's a, problem that I acknowledge, but I find that in Austin, there's just a lack of infrastructure for, you know, cultural things, right? Like, and, and no disrespect to anybody who's working on that currently, but I'm from two culturally very rich places. Like I've lived in, I'm from New Orleans, born and raised, first 25 years of my life, that's where I was outside of college. And then I moved to New York for six years. And so I, I just know what it's look, what it looks like. And so coming to Austin and being like, oh, like, there's so much opportunity. It's like, if you can just lean in and literally build the thing that you wish existed or contribute to building the thing that you wish existed, like, yeah, how much freedom is in that, you know? Um, and so that's the lens in which I've been kind of exploring, like I said, just ways in which I can kind of contribute to solving for that problem because there's, it's a great backdrop. It's just needs, I think, just a little, little infrastructure, if you will, within the cultural sector. And, and it can be a, a, a very delightful, rewarding and fulfilling place, I think, for Black folks to live. What would that infrastructure look like, do you think? I think uh, it, it's, it's really the cornerstone of it is Black space. Um, what I would find is I first got here and there was this guy who um, was a poet and he would have these poetry slams and they were in coffee shops and they were packed out. 
And then I saw as the crowd grew, he had to try to find more spots to have like these events, right? But it was always this feeling of like, it's not ours. You know, the way they treat you, the prices, all these uh, these subtleties, right? Where you're like, we're renting this space. It's not ours. It's a different kind of feeling. And then getting into programmatic work, both with the Urban League and then without the Urban League, where it's like, all right, let's do an art show at an, at an event space. And it's like, well, the night that they give us to do this art show is the night that the space is closed, which is kind of cool in a sense that we can black it out, right? It's filled with people who are have a common cultural identity. But again, at the same time, we now can only have an event on a Wednesday versus something that might be better suited to a Friday or a Saturday, right? So there's this inherent compromise in that when you don't have ownership. So I think that infrastructure is critically important. And I've met people who say, yeah, we used to have that, but then they didn't allow us to keep it, you know, and all those types of things. And, but I don't think that way. I'm not fatalist in that way. It's like, no, I I need optimism. It's like air for me. I just do. And so I believe in what we can create and how we can improve. And so I think black space is really the the cornerstone of that. Because I think from that, then you can do all these programmatic things. Tuesday can be, you know, the night for the young black Democrats to come in and have a discussion. And Friday can be, you know, you know, introductory courses for, you know, new mothers or something. It could be all these things if you have that black space. And so that's where I'm focused because I think that that allows us to do so much more once we have that. Mm, I'm just thinking of like a black space that is just open all the time. Ugh. Yeah, like we never close. <clears throat> spot in New Orleans called We Never Close. And it was a pull boy spot. And I just love that name. I was like, cause they just never close, you know, two in the morning, whenever you want a pull boy, they were there. But I think about that access- accessibility, right? And what I would find even when, when I was telling, you know, these new friends of mine, like, hey, like, these are the DJs to follow. All those DJs are, like, renting space, you know? They are, they are passing through. They are guests of this particular space for that evening. And a friend of mine um, who's an amazing DJ would DJ at, like, a restaurant. And it was the tiniest <laughs> restaurant. And we're in a corner just, like, bopping with glasses of rosé, like, just trying to enjoy each other. But the space wasn't conducive for that. You know what I mean? So... It's just about that. Like, how can we be intentional about what a community, a cultural space for us could look like and programmatically, oh my God, like what what might we be able to deliver in that? And so that's the thing that I'm working on now that's incredibly exciting for me because I just think about all the people who come here who can check the box of career, but outside of that, that other stuff that you need regarding like just cultural identity and awareness, like it, it just that infrastructure, like I said, on a consistent level just isn't present. But I applaud the people who are like, oh, let's get together and do it like an insecure watch night. And they were just like find like locations and we would show up and you had RSVP, but it was free. And you literally just come through with your bottle of wine, watch Insecure as a collective, and then have like a little 20 minute discussion session at the end like that warmed my heart so much <laughs> to be able to share that with the community so programmatically it's the simplest things but I think when you're in a dominant population or cultural group of whiteness for example like you just don't realize those opportunities yeah. are not being met <clears throat> and so I think we have an acute awareness of what this problem set looks and feels like and yeah. that's why I'm like we're equipped to solve for it because we can't expect other people to solve for this yeah which I don't know if y'all have watched the new season of Insecure but Molly worked my last nerve this season I can't the- stand Molly's ass Yvonne yeah. I love but the character I'm like bro like I'm at wit's end like it, it like Issa's growth has been incredible growth <laughs> growth I it's just growth. 
so much growth. Issa, girl, I'm with you. I'm riding for you. But Issa season one to Issa now. I'm like, who is this girl? This girl. I've always wondered how she could afford such nice fashions. Don't get me wrong. But like, yeah, character-wise, the character development for her has been tremendous. And even Lawrence, right? The other characters on the show. Chad is absolutely my favorite, though. I will admit. And on, and on uh, what's it called? An un- underrated fave, because honestly, yeah. He is. I mean, he shows up on screen. I'm just like, I'm peeled. Eyes peeled. It's about to go I'm off. Friend, I'm a ratchet friend. She was like, because you are Chad. And I was like, dude, I am not. <laughs> There's some chattish qualities for sure, but I'm definitely Dead. not chat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right now, by the time this episode comes out, hopefully it will have happened. But, you know, we're recording today. It's August 12th. And there, September 12th. Wow. Um, and there is this gentleman who is fundraising slash kickstarting to start the first Black-owned brewery in Austin. Um, and so they have to raise like 60 grand. And they just extended the deadline out and so what have you. But I think about that of like, you know, that's that's his brewery that he's starting, black owned. There's also there's another bar that is a alcohol free bar. I can't think of the name of right now. Sands Bar. It's called Sands Bar. Um, but that's black owned as well. And you know, Black Restaurant Week was a couple weeks ago. And there's just like there Austin used to be a predominantly black city and gentrification and everything else has pushed all those folks out to like ground rock georgetown san antonio but you know as you talk about like the culture of a city and you know you growing up in new orleans and then moving to new york me being from the northeast being right there by new york but then also the northeast being a whole culture and then you know visiting san antonio which is only an hour away and how much culture is in san antonio and feeling like the culture of austin no longer exists if you don't find those those things that have been around for so long and so i feel like there's like a cultural resurgence going on right now i think there's like new businesses popping up we've seen you know on the east side just from in the five years i've lived here like the north Georgia just permanently shut down which i'm still mourning i shed a tear i'm still mourning about that i love the north door and i don't think i'll ever get over it but at the same time i'm like what if a black person bought the North Door? How impactful would that be for black people in Austin? And I'm like, how much money I got? Can I invest? <laughs> what if we all collectively as black people just all go like a hundred bucks in? Seven seven thousand of us just put in a hundred. But you know, thinking of, of things like that, like now on the east side on that same street you know, they tore down that parking lot. Now there's a Target, a Juice Land, like all these big corporation companies. And I'm like, if we could just find a space and make it ours, how impactful would that be for us? Or, you know, having white people and allies who have, who own businesses who are like, we will give you this space on a Friday, right? Like just being able to have that connection as well. Of like we own this space, but we know how important it is for black people to, for this community to have a place to, to get together and you know how and how the price of entry might be a deterrent for them we just want to give you all the space here we are so you know as i continue to think about that too like you know if i end up doing this collective where can we meet that isn't just our homes and (laughs) right like it's just so important and so yeah I, i wonder like how how have you felt going about that as well like what 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 steps have we been taking of making austin this like city that is more inclusive for black people yeah you know i think it's it's a real problem in a sense that i've i've heard it from white men that i know you know who are you know tired of going to places and events and it's just white folks 
And, you know, sometimes these are men that have lived in other places like New York City, where again, that cultural, you don't have to look for it. It's just mm-hmm. it's there. It's part of it. It's part of the, the DNA. It's part of the kineticism of the city itself, the fabric of the city. And so I think with that, though, that becomes a significant opportunity for them to be allies, folks that have capital, capital or access to capital or who have pockets of knowledge and expertise, right, that maybe the average person who can see this problem and feel like they can take action on it may not know how to solve for those things. So I think um, for me, what I found is it's about having courage to pitch the idea, to share the idea like, hey, this is a need that I see ally who has resources. Um, How might I make this work? You know, and they're like giving me guidance, you know, like, all right, look at a three-year budget, you know, identify the model for this. Cool. And these are all baby steps that I can take and I can kind of Google my way through and then get feedback on, right. And iterate to some ideal of, of completion. But I think um, it starts there too, with just acknowledging like, I'm a Black person in Austin, Texas, who is from New Orleans. I've never had to look for great culture. I've never had to look for live music. I've never had to look for Blackness. I just It's just not something I've had to look for. It's been abundant since day one. And then I've lived in New York City, and I can see what it means for subcultures or smaller cultural groups to be able to find themselves and like what kind of, again, infrastructure exists to plug into those things. And um, coming to Austin and being able to inherently see like, okay, this city is malfunctioning on a cultural level because it's missing these key things. Okay, that's a problem I see. And I can validate that with other Black folks, but maybe they don't want to solve it in a way that I can see a solution for, right? Or maybe they don't have the courage to do that. Or maybe they don't have a connection to these ally groups that I have. So how do I then use privilege, if you will, that I have to not only be acutely aware of the problem, to know and have hypotheses of how we could solve this problem. I also have a design and architecture background, right? So there's that. And then have access to folks who are willing to give me an ear. Like, I don't have to go to a pitch competition to get in front of investors. I know a couple, you know what I mean? So it's like by doing that and just say, okay, I'm going to have the courage to then have that conversation and then have the courage to take action on what they tell me. And if I don't feel like I know exactly how to get it done, like who else do I know? Who else is in this little community that I have that I can ask this question to? And so I'm not afraid and I'm learning how to be less afraid and unafraid of asking for help and getting my friend who's an excellent accountant to look at this little three-year raggedy budget that I put together. Like, hey, can you look at this? I'm not an accountant, bro, but this is what I'm thinking. These are the assumptions I have. Can you take a look at this? And and most people are willing to give you two or three hours of their time to do something like that. And, and those are allies, right? Those are folks who may not know the problem in the way that I know it, but they can understand it and empathize and, and lend their expertise to it. So it's a series, I think, of baby steps and it requires courage at each at each turn. But I'm like, if I don't do this in 2020, how many more people are going to come here for all these jobs, for all these places getting built, all these headquarters and whatnot? And again, the, the, it compounds the suffering, right? It compounds like the, the experience, the thwarted experience in a city that is otherwise really good and really nurturing and really beautiful and really a great place to take root in. But I think I'm uniquely positioned to help solve this, you know, and I kind of got to tell myself that every day or whenever I hear a point, hit a point where I'm like, eh, I don't know, you know, am I really the right person? And it's like, no, I know the right people. I do have access in that way. So let me leverage that to take the next step, you know? But we need that. We really do. I believe in this wholeheartedly. Like we need that, you know, and how cool could it be if we own the North door? I think we can get close to that or something similar. <laughs> a dream. Honestly, <laughs> a dream. And you know, there's probably gonna be people listening. I was like, yo, that's totally feasible. Like how much is the North door, you know? And, and, and it's, but it's true. And I think, you know, we think about access to capital as being like the biggest hindrance. 
and to have conversations with prospective investors and they're like, don't worry about investment. Investment's going to be easy. And it's like, oh shit. You know, and I think that is inherently because 2020 has been what it's been, right? We have much more of a visible awareness now of what the Black experience has been in America. And when you see people like myself and like you, right, who are like making the way through it, then folks look at you like, oh my God, you're a superwoman. It's like, no, no, no. I am resilient. Don't get me wrong. Resiliency is in the DNA, but I'm not superwoman. I need rest. I cry. I cry a lot. I show up at work when I would rather unplug. You know what I mean? And and there are people though who see this and have this awareness who are now doing the self-reflection of like, how many black people do I have on my cap table? How many black companies have I invested in? You know, what am I doing to solve for this? How could I be doing more? And then here comes Dante with this idea, you know? So I think um, it's about having courage, like courage in that of like seeing this persistent problem. There's this group I want to, you know, unify and, and kind of help or aid. And this is the way in which I think it might be done. Who can help me to kind of validate this and or improve upon the idea that I have. And so I think it's courage to have those conversations too. Uh. Honestly, investors, just call me in Dante. Um, we tell you where to put your money. Link in bio. Yeah, link link in the show notes. Um, just contact us if you have any, you know, place you just want to throw some money around out. And, uh, you know, we'll use it for good. We'll help you know, build some infrastructure. I'm an ROI. You get a little ROI. Yeah, you get a little return, you know, a little sun sun in your pocket. Um, we need a place that has a stage and great lighting. But, you know, we'll talk about that when the, once the money comes in. Um, but, yeah, I just, I have so much hope for Austin that I really weirdly didn't feel until all this happened. Like, I was so gung-ho for moving in May. And, you know, sitting at home the last few weeks, well, few weeks, few months, Starting my own business, connecting with so many people over this time, specifically Black people. I've been really big on collecting with, connecting with Black people during this time and wanting us to have a space in this city. Like there's so many Black influencers, Black business owners, Black folk who are just doing great work yes. um, that I just want us all to have a space, like just one or two spaces, one North, one South, preferably. Um, because we know, yeah, we know the importance of, you know, people who don't travel past the river, but that's a whole different discussion. Um, but I just want so much for us. And, you know, there's, I think there's so much connection for all of us. Like you were saying, when you, once you connect with someone else who is, you have, even if the one thing you have in common is that you're black, that's a shared experience and you just want to build that and grow that and have that more often. And I often tell people like, I don't think people understand the cultural connection of being black. And I don't think it is until like I'm on Instagram on the embracing blackness Instagram. Like we were all raised by the same person and it's hilarious (laughs) to me, Um, which if y'all haven't checked it out, I'll link it in the show notes because it's very important and hilarious. Um, but I just, you know, I want that so much. And, you know, as a person who is now 30 and thinking of life as I get older and, you know, meeting a potential partner and like hearing people who, who are even white, who are from these bigger cities who are like, where are all the people of color? Where are the diversity? Like even for the white people to be like, <laughs> that's how you know it's an issue. They're like, I'm still showing up and it's just white people and crop. Like where's, yeah, like, I'm sorry. Where's yeah. like, I, it's always so funny for like for you to say like about your friend, like, but people from New York, you know, California, like all these bigger city places yeah. being like, I'm just confused why there's only people who look like me and that that makes them uncomfortable. Like yeah. that's always so hilarious. Like I only see white people and I do not like this. And I'm like, let's talk about this more. Yeah. Um, but as I get older and start thinking about dating and 
you know, being here and I've been telling people like, if I decide to have kids in like the next 10 years, would I put my kid in a school in Austin right now? Like I have a friend who is moving out of Austin to New York specifically so that her black child will have black teachers. You know what like, I mean? Yeah. And I'm like, and she's, in, uh, she's a white woman. She adopted her kid. And she's like, I know that my kid needs to see people who look like him. She's like, and we've lived in this, she's owned that house for like 10 years and she just adopted him. He'll, he'll be too. And she's like, listen, my kid is cute now, but by the time he turns five, you know, people's, you know, opinion and connotation of him will change. And we, we know about the adultification of black kids. And so she's like, I don't want anyone to ever feel like my kid doesn't belong in their neighborhood. She's like, so I'm doing this as a safety precaution for him. Where see, I, I would challenge her to be like, how else can you solve that problem other than running from it? You know what I mean? And like, what else can you do with, again, your access, your whiteness, your just your being, right? Yeah. Your energy to shape, you know, what these schools look like. Mm-hmm. There's stuff we can do, you know? And I think Austin is the place for that too. Like where it's ripe for that, you know? And I think to your point about the AJC and the work that they've been doing with some of the recent protests, it's just like seeing the sea of people who are largely white as well, like showing up. I was like, this is beautiful. I was at my, in my house on my couch because COVID. But um, I think it was beautiful to see that because I think that is the population that needs to be galvanized here. It's mm-hmm. like, you guys have so much access and governance, you know, come on, like lean in a little bit more. So I, 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 it's a sad story for me to hear. I understand it, no question. Um, but it is a sad story for me to hear because again, that's a, that's another black life that's now gone to New York. Gone. A great place, but again, different quality of life. living yeah, in And that's a lot of stuff I talk about in, in my consulting. Not only am I helping nonprofits with their fundraising and marketing, you know, getting people with more money connected to smaller nonprofits who maybe don't get the amount of notoriety as others. But I'm also doing like diversity, equity, inclusion training. I just did an implicit bias training last week and been telling people like diversity, equity, and inclusion can't just be terms you use at work. Like it can't just be, well, we have X, Y, and Z coworkers. So we've done it. I'm like, no, how are you making sure that your kid isn't playing with kids who only look like them? Are you making sure that you have diverse teachers in your schools? Like asking these questions that a lot of employers don't think about and the importance of having a black teacher faculty member who isn't you know no shade and not to minimize it but not just a custodian or not just a library worker or not just a gym gym teacher like having black people who are in positions of education and how important that is is like showing our our kids that you can be anything and it is so important to hire teachers who look like them like the representation um but yeah i'm just always like so now i'm like okay you're tired and you said you're not doing any more projects in october however (laughs) if you do a collective project (laughs) yeah i mean again like i i'm the queen of outsourcing and i'm the queen of partnership and i think when you like I have this vision let me share it a bit and see who rocks with it and then bring that person on to help you you know yeah. because that's what the moguls do I have this there's this Jay-Z line I listen to Jay-Z Jay-Z is like a mentor of me of mine but he, he has this line where he's talking about you know all his wins because sometimes you gotta remind people what your resume looks like and he's talking Ooh, about say that sorry I didn't even <laughs> sit on that for a minute air horns burr, 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 burr. remind burr, burr, burr. remind these people what your resume looks like oh sometimes and I think I mean we we got a tangent, but like being a black woman, praise God, with good genetics, folks are always thinking I'm 10 years younger than I am. And I think that's cute. 60 year old me is going to love that. Poppin'. <laughs> 
<laughs> but bro, like, yeah, like there is, there is work that has led me to this moment and there, I'm 10 years older than what you think I am. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so there, there's, there's wins here. And so he's got this song where he's like, you know, doing his Jay-Z thing, but he's like basically talking about all the things that he's doing in between running 16 businesses. And I'm like 16, goddamn, you know what I mean? Cause I'm thinking about the three that I'm working on. But I, I think, you know, all that to say that it comes down, I think, to, to the teams and the teams that you can build and, and the partnerships that you can create so that all these things you have, Brie, going on, like you can keep kind of moving, you know? Think about that. I think you can do that. I always tell myself that I am single with no kids right now for a reason. True. And so my aunt's always like, this is your time. Like, be really selfish. Do all the things you want to do so that way when you find a partner or don't, become a parent or don't but when you get older you feel like you've done all the things you could just enjoy it and so I tell people like I'm constantly exhausted but I'm also constantly happy like there's just so many things I've done that brings me so much joy that I'm already like okay in October I'm not taking any um any like outsource projects also quick sidebar if you're not getting paid for your stuff don't do it that's just yeah, me yeah um but now I'm like okay if I want to do this black collective this black women's collective specifically like i'm already like thinking of 10 15 people in my brain who i'm just like crap if i <laughs> put them all in an email i know every single one of them like what do you need how can we help what's the next steps and so yeah, yeah that might be my actual project. <laughs> yeah 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 yep that's it take a breath you know take a day or two take a couple weeks and but think about how you can activate the folks around you because i think that is also the beautiful thing of community and I tell my friends this all the time. I was like, especially if you're a person that has never asked for anything, like I don't ask for nothing. You know what I mean? Like if anything is like, yo, let's meet for coffee, but it's still, there's no pitch at the end. I'm not trying to sell you on flat tummy tea. Like there's no, (laughs) there's no ask at the end. So to be in a moment where you're like, you know, I I need my community for this. All right, this is the kind of help I'm looking for. When you put those questions out there, you'd be surprised and much like people joyfully want to give, joyfully want to help. So yeah, I, I encourage that because I think again, when you're close to the problems, you're close to what the solutions can be. And so we need that. We need this Black Women's Collective. Mm, I'm gonna stop it there because when you're close to the problem, you're close to the solution. You better preach a sermon on a Saturday. <laughs> we weren't ready today. Uh, I'll be sure to link everything in the show notes. I just I could talk to you for days. Honestly, this That's is this is again. this has been such a joy. Um, At the end of each episode, I like to ask the question, what is the best advice you were ever given? Or what's a piece of advice you would give to your younger self? Yeah, the best advice that I was given was um, to keep a mix of things. And that was important for me because I was a person who wanted to be an architect since I was eight years old and kind of went through that career progression, but didn't love it, loved aspects of it, but didn't love practicing it and picked up all these skills you know, in digital and, you know, video production and, you know, just all these things digitally that I could do that led me to being a product manager ultimately. But I have other curiosities still, you know, and so it's cool to now be at this point where things are starting to integrate and converge at a way, in a way. But when I got that advice, I was probably 27 years old and just struggling with my professional identity, struggling with how do I represent the skills that I have, but also like give fair credence to like the interests that I have as well. And how do I convince people that I'm the right person for the job, even though I've done X, Y, and Z, that 
may not particularly align to this one job. And my mentor, um, who has decades over me, she's probably in her 70s now. And she was just like, yo, you can keep a mix of things. And it was just like permission, permission to be my dynamic self. And, you know, there's another quote that's like, you know, stay whole and let them choke. And like, to me, it's the same kind of energy of like, show up who you are in your full dynamism and um, let everybody else figure the rest out. You know, so that was the best advice that I got. I still, I still refer back to that. That's it for this week's episode of the Tea with Brie. <laughs> Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Tea with Brie. Send me an email at the Tea with Brie at gmail.com and visit the website, the Tea with Brie podcast.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. A special thanks to Mama Duke for our theme music, and I will talk to y'all next week. Bye.